Recessions are inevitable. They will happen every few years. And we could be in a recession right now. And we could be out of it in a couple months. From MoneyFit by DRS, it's the MoneyFit Show, your weekly podcast about real difficult money stories, overcoming financial obstacles, and tips for building healthy money habits. I'm Todd Christensen, host of the Money Fit Show podcast. And on today's episode, I have a conversation with Tammy Trenta of Family Financial about personal finance journeys, marriage, divorce, IRS audits, and recessions. A quick note, the batteries on Tammy's earbuds died just as we began recording, so she switched to a different microphone. The sound may fade in and out a few times, but please stick with us for this great interview. It's not your sound, it's mine. We invented it's not yours, it's ours. Nobody tells us it's them, not us. If it's anybody, it's us. As founder and CEO of Family Financial, Tammy Trenta empowers families and business owners to keep more of what they earn, preserving and growing their wealth. Using her 27 years of experience, she takes a holistic approach to financial management to help her clients achieve their financial goals. In addition to relentlessly advocating for her clients, she is also a strong proponent for mandating financial literacy curriculum in high schools and colleges across America. Bless you, Tammy. Appreciate that. Uh, Tammy Trento, welcome to the Money Fit Show. Hi, Todd. Thanks for having me. I, I really do. I mean, that's, uh, that's uh, something near and dear to my heart, uh, being a financial educator for the last almost 20 years. So um, that, that's awesome. Thank you. Hey, we uh, start off with a kind of an introduction uh, question for you, for the audience to get to know you. And this one um, I've, I've been turning to a little more lately, and it is this. If you were able to go back in your youth, is there a teacher, coach, or mentor you would want to thank and why? Wow. Yes. I, I grew up in a, a pretty strict Italian family, and I went to uh-huh. Catholic school. So lots of rules. Um, <laughs> not a lot yeah. of coloring outside the lines. And had a very liberal uh, English teacher. And mm-hmm. he was the reason that I broke away from, you know, my, my upbringing. And when we were about to graduate from high school, he said, this is the one time in your life where you can be anything you want. You can do anything you want. You can shave your head. You could color your hair purple. <laughs> you take the time to discover yourself. And it was just such new information for the time, but I ended up getting uh, accepted to a college on the West Coast. And that was a really huge move for me. So uh, I would absolutely thank him for giving me that perspective in what my seemingly small world was at the time. And his name was Mr. Richard Wiki. Mr. Wiki, keep up the great work. <laughs> Hopefully doing well. 
Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. I always, I always love those stories because I think we all have them and, and uh, the teachers and, and mentors don't get to get that appreciation expressed enough. So to begin with, Tammy, um, staying kind of uh, back in, in our youth here, as you were growing up, you grew up on the East Coast. Yes. Um, who were you early on? I mean, before, as you were getting ready to go off to college, how did you see yourself? I had always envisioned myself as someone that was advocating. And I know that sounds strange today, but mm-hmm. I, I think that's the best way to summarize it. I, I grew up and, and thought in my mind, I think we all envision what our future is going to be. And I thought for sure I would become a lawyer uh-huh. and I had plans to go to law school and you know, I, I envisioned exactly what I would wear. I'd wear a green suit with a brown briefcase. And <laughs> I had a pretty clear idea of where I was going. And and until it, I didn't. <laughs> where did that didn't happen? Was that uh, in high school still or when you headed off to, to the East, the West Coast for college? When I headed off to the West Coast for college, um, you know, I grew up in a pretty like middle to upper class family. And in my freshman year, I received a call from my father who informed me that my parents were getting a divorce. And mm-hmm. to make matters worse, they were taking my college money and mm-hmm. going to need it. Uh, mm-hmm. The real estate market was not doing well at the time. And ultimately, both my parents went into bankruptcy. And Mm. so, you know, we can look at that and think, what you know, what a terrible thing. But in hindsight, like, I think that it was a gift. And how so? Well, for one, it made me think long and hard about what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Uh-huh. And how important choosing the right career path is. Knowing that I was going to have to pay my own way through the remaining three years of college and then also take on you know, law school expenses, I began to think practically about how I was going to pay off those loans. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it, it, it's interesting to me because, you know, as an advisor, so many of my clients are saving for their children's education. So that mm-hmm. money is there. And my parents did that too, but then it wasn't there. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think it, it was a defining moment where I realized I was no longer going to be reliant upon my parents' money to survive. And I had to really rely on me. And so I did. I established, I got a job working as a cocktail waitress and Mm -hmm. I established residency so that I could get in-state tuition. I I finished all my course load in three and a half years. So, I mean, I was ready to get out and ready to start making some money. Yeah. And so you, you, you were going to be an attorney that, uh, that was kind of, was that you were encouraged to be an attorney as you were growing up or that's just, you had heard that and thought that sounded fun. 
<laughs> yeah, everything on TV, you know, all the lawyer yeah. shows. I mean, if we're being honest, I was looking at what I saw on television and it seemed like such a cool job. And yeah. once I was in college, you know, I, I waited tables for people who were lawyers and practicing. No one liked what they were doing. Um, and so I think I got a little bit nervous when it came time to decide whether I was going to attend law school. I had taken the LSAT, I applied, was accepted. And I thought, is this really, this is a big investment. Is this really what I want to do? And I, I, again, I think because I was footing the bill for my education, I decided let me get out there and see what it is that I enjoy, what I like to do. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm a proponent from, I'm a proponent of getting out there and working to see what it is that resonates with you before mm -hmm. deciding on a career path without trying it. So what did you find? Well, uh, my very first in the, San Gabriel Valley of California, which is 100 degree weather. And I had one suit that was made of wool. And it was at the oh. time where you had to wear pantyhose. So you won't appreciate that, but the, the women will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I remember having that argument in, uh, <laughs> at, at work with, with the employees and, and I felt bad for, for yeah, them. Yeah. But I think it was, I, I did okay. Um, it was sales, um, but I didn't, I never felt like I was learning anything or mm -hmm. developing myself. And so I left that position and was lucky enough to get a, uh, an opportunity at Dean Witter. So that dates me. It was back in the you know mid nineties before Morgan Stanley merged with Dean Witter. But a, yeah. So, I mean, it was a fun environment and the stock market was always moving. It was dynamic. So I, I loved the sense of community there, but also it made me think about having a career in financial services. And I thought to myself, well, if I could just learn how to manage my own finances that would be amazing, even if I don't have a career in this. And as I learned more, I realized how important it is to have a financial uh, education. Um, and I realized, well, wow, like I could actually help other people. And yeah. that was my career path. And that's what led me into it. So I shifted gears. I pursued an MBA in finance. And then I shortly... Well, I wouldn't say shortly, but during my last year of business school, I obtained my CFP designation, which is Certified Financial Planner. And mm -hmm. there I was. So that was my that was my shift. So you're, I mean, they're they're still they're both very, um, you know, well, uh, well respected uh, uh, fields that you got in that that you went into eventually. That one. Um, MBA was, uh, you took more than just the three and a half years. That was the undergrad, right? And then yes. another year or two years for MBA? I did an internship in my uh, semester of school because I had finished all my credits. So I worked for John McCain um, and I worked for 
Grant Woods, who was the attorney general in Arizona at the time. And, you know, I learned a lot about the political arena and, Mm -hmm. you know, the public or the the district attorney's office and, and how how politics and law mesh together, you know, mm-hmm. not always in the most <laughs> altruistic way, I would say. So, you know, because I had thought about going in that direction as well. So I, I, left, yeah. I left both of those thinking I do not want a career in politics and I do not want to work for um, the attorney general either. You'd, you'd seen them making sausage. At, <laughs> so that's, that's not what I want to do. Law, making law and making sausage, two things you don't want to yeah. watch. So I would say it was about six years um, with a, a two-year break in between grad yeah. and, and graduate school. So your, your work now heading in toward down the path toward your, um, your finance um, career, things seem like they should be going pretty well at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but never, nothing ever goes perfectly for everybody. Right. And uh, you, you had somebody come into your life that uh, ended up having a, a bigger impact or different kind of impact. You thought, uh, and that's, that's the case for a lot of people, right? It is. It doesn't matter how smart you are or how wealthy you are. I, I, you know, I thought that I would get married and, you know, the white picket fence, I'd marry another lawyer in law school and we'd have a boy and a girl. And, and, you know, I'd always, that was my future. And I went into my twenties and that didn't happen. And then in my (laughs) thirties, it's starting to, time is ticking. And I met someone who was lovely and handsome and, I, I ended married. Um, now I will tell you that I, I questions. I, I definitely asked, you know, I, I thought I knew how much money he made. I thought I knew what properties he owned. I thought I knew how much he saved. I knew about his grandfather and inheritance. And, and obviously it's not all about the money, but when you're about to share your life with somebody. You have to know what you're getting into. And after, so many people don't even ask those questions. Well, that I, yeah, I guess you're right. Um, you know, for me, I think I've just been doing this so long that like, I know to ask these questions. Yeah. Just because yeah. you ask those questions doesn't mean you're getting the truth. And that's what I discovered. So, you know, after I was already married, I realized that, um, you know, my my husband had student loans that they were defaulted. He had tax liens, um, terrible credit. And then I found out that he uh, he told me he graduated from a college and was given a scholarship as a quarterback. And when I mm-hmm. asked his mother <laughs> later on, I found out he never went there and he did not get a football scholarship. So it was, oh, wow. it was complete, just, I want to say, you know, sociopathic tendencies where wow. I think for him, it was harder for him to tell the truth than it was to tell a lie. And our whole relationship was built on lies. And I knew I needed to get out 
And, and we, kind of hard, hard to have a trust at that point. That I think was the hardest thing because, you know, I was raised Catholic and, you know, even though my parents separated, I thought to myself, I never want to be divorced. I, I, I want to be married and make it work and I'm loyal, but, you know, I was only half of that equation. And the hardest part for me was to try to regain a trusting relationship. And I just, I couldn't do it. And, and maybe Mm -hmm. part of that was because, you know, I had been let down by my own family at a young age and was, you know, again, it's like you have people in your life that you count on when you're small and as you grow. And when those people who are supposed to show up for you don't, that's, it's a hard thing to, to, navigate through. And, and when you do, you realize that the only one who's looking out for you is you. Um, and so I, it took me longer to get divorced than the marriage lasted. <laughs> and okay. I had to write him quite a large check, um, yeah. which, you know, I now look at it as an investment and <laughs> <laughs> not having him in my life ever again. Or a different view, you were buying a different future. I think so. I think that's a great way to describe it. So, you know, I, I look back and, and I'm, I'm thankful for that life experience because it's made me a better advisor and it's made me a lot more aware. Mm-hmm. Well, I, yeah, it's, it's a real personal um, story and I appreciate you sharing that. I, when I mean, you, you work with a lot of people that uh, whether they're about to get married or they're, they've been married, they probably ask this question all the time. Um, we got married. Are our finances completely married? I mean, did I marry his dad or her dad or his credit res- score or her credit score? Um, because, you know, you, you got in, you got in and it, it wasn't just all resolved when you got out, but what, what can, what typically do you tell people when they ask, um, how much should I be concerned about their finances affecting mine? I think it is a probably, if not number one, a, a close second to, mm-hmm. you know, maybe <laughs> I'm not even sure health, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but to not be aligned is is it's devastating for a marriage um, because it's such a it you're married to somebody you're married to everything about them and the things that no i'm not sure todd if you're married but when Mm -hmm. the things that maybe are cute at one point they can sometimes become really annoying (laughs) (laughs) and so it's little and it's easy for us when we're in love to overlook those things but i i think it's so important to ask those questions and set some mutual expectations about like will you have a joint account so um you know my second husband was actually a client of mine who i Mm-hmm. I managed his money and I did his life insurance for him. So I knew health. I knew 
I knew everything and they felt very safe and that relationship. Um, But we still had to decide because we both had things that we were bringing from our past. And we decided that we were going to have one joint bank account where we each had um, the same amount of funds going in for joint Mm -hmm. expenses. And then that gave us the ability, if I wanted to go buy a nice pair of shoes that I'm using my money, or if he wanted to, you know, on a ski trip with his buddies, he was using his money. And that worked yeah, for us. Yeah. But but having those conversations, I think, are really important. And then beyond just if whether you'll have a joint account, what your future looks like. Yeah. What is that? And in having those conversations, um, what is a dollar amount that I mean, I think my husband and I decided if there was something that was over $500 that we would have a discussion about it before that purchase happened. And whatever that is for somebody, I think it's good to be on the same page with. Can have a trigger, a trigger amount that uh, you can't, if you're in it together as a partnership, you should probably be talking to your partner at a certain point. Yes. And and to answer your question about the credit, I mean, yeah. I was told that there was a high 700 credit score and it yeah. wasn't until I started looking at houses where the um, mortgage person said, oh my gosh, do you know? I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And and when I confronted him with the, the low credit score, it was, my gosh, I think someone must have stolen my identity. Mm-hmm. And of course I believe it. So, I mean, I hate to be a cynic, but I really think that you've got to do your homework um, before you decide to, to legally bind yourself to yeah. for the rest of your life. Well, I guess the, the, the good news is that when you got married, his score didn't affect your score directly. I mean, until you start doing joint type stuff, right? Yes, that's right. So I had to buy the house in my name. But in California, we're in a community property state. So I still had to mm-hmm. give him half of the equity, even though, you know, the funds were yeah. mine. Yeah. When did, did, did the government come after you for uh, his student loans? No, they didn't because those loans were, uh, those happened years before we had met. Existing, yes, now, but I will tell you that I ended up getting selected for audit by the IRS because, yes, and that was after we were separated, so it was a lovely little surprise (laughs) from one thing to another. And you know, he was self employed, so he took a lot of liberties with deductions Mm. and. This, I think we were only tax reporting filing jointly for two years, but, um, you know, the auditor came to my house. I talked to her. I showed her all my stuff. And she said I would be joint and severally liable for whatever his credit card um, or or not his credit card for whatever his tax liabilities were. She said she had tried to get a hold of him. He was not returning her calls. They sent letters. And so if you have a, a spouse that is not cooperating, what they do is they disallow every deduction and they come up with a number. And, you know, that number for us was like well into the six figures. And 
when when you also ignore them, they they go into another tax year. So I got um, audited for the year that we select were selected for audit, and the year before, and the year after. Mm. Um, and so then it was me against the IRS having to figure out how to get out of this. And so that I mean I will tell you it took six years. Oh, wow. Now, I didn't end up owing money. Um, he did. But it was it was a journey that as someone who's financially savvy, like I have an enrolled agent license, I'm consider myself pretty financially sophisticated. And I was able to defend myself and come up wow. with the proper arguments. But there is no way that someone without that financial background could have navigated that. Um, yeah, I was, I was going to ask, I mean, somebody without that kind of experience and expertise, what are they left to, tragic. to do? Yeah, it's really tragic and it's stressful. Um, you know, I will tell you, my mom went through it because she was not financially savvy. And my father had taken a lot of credit card debt in her name. And that mm. was one of the reasons why they had to file bankruptcy. So mm. a lot of stress. Um, and sometimes it's just not your fault, right? Well, yeah. I guess I can blame myself for choosing the wrong person, right? That's what I can take responsibility for and I can do something about it. But when you feel like you have no control, it's, it's not a great place to be. Yeah. Well, at that point, I guess a, uh, a tax attorney finance would would come in uh, probably be worth definitely worth the expense, right? You or would it be a financial advisor? Who who do you, who would they turn? Who would you? Whatever. Who would somebody turn to? Well, my first stop was my CPA, but oh, yeah. it was you know I paid three seventy five an hour for a junior person to research things that I already researched in the tax code. And, um, you know, so I did my own calculations. Uh, there's also people who have worked for the IRS that can advocate for you. So, um, you know, I had a friend whose mom owned a tax firm and so they referred me to somebody, but he wasn't all that helpful either. Um, and if you hire a tax attorney, I mean, you're going to pay for it. And yeah. it's just, it's, it's like a bottomless. <laughs> oh yeah. It, I don't, I wish I had some better advice. Um, you know, the ideal situation would be to have one financial expert who spent all their time advocating for you because when you yeah. have multiple clients, you just can't devote the time that me as an individual was willing to devote to my own cause. Yeah. So, you know, I like to think you, if you're going to pay for somebody to help you, they need to do an 80% job of the job that you would do or better. And I just didn't feel like who I was selecting was giving me 80%. I felt like maybe I was getting 30% and I had to fill in the gaps, but it could be because I'm an advisor. I just knew more. I had pretty high expectations too. Uh, moral of the story, I guess, is uh, uh, prevention is worth more than a pound of cure. I would say so. Yes. Ask the right questions in the beginning because it's bad. Yeah. Be <laughs> open and honest and trusting, but verify, right? That's right. Exactly. I always say trust is earned. It's not given. And, and so I still, I'm, I'm cautious. I like that. <laughs> 
Love is give love is love doesn't have to be earned. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, you uh you've been busy over the last several years. You've got your own firm, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this uh, before we uh, start heading into the the, uh, the cleanup here. What is it that you love and enjoy most about what you do? I love making people's lives. It's it's nice to feel like I'm having an impact on improving people's quality of life. And, you know, sometimes it's not even financial. Sometimes it's like a mindset or, you know, the psychology of money, because the behavioral aspects of money are, are very powerful. You know, we've all grown up with some association with how money has impacted us. And if, you know, you didn't have any, you maybe have scarcity, you feel like you're not capable of, of achieving what you could achieve. And, and in other cases, you've got so much that you don't appreciate it. And, um, but navigating those financial decisions and helping people to try to take the emotional component out of it is, is really a, an important um, aspect of giving advice. That's got to be hard, though. I mean, it, we're, we're so tied emotionally to money. Yeah, it's not easy. And, you know, I think the biggest emotion is fear. So, you know, we've had some volatility in the market in the last few months and clients that are nearing retirement, you know, they'll call and they'll say, I'm scared. And so, you know, as an advisor, it's my job to give them the confidence that they shouldn't be scared and stick to the plan. Well, we knew this was coming possible. Uh, recessions are inevitable. They will happen every few years. And so, you know, I, I had, I was in Mexico with some clients over the weekend and they were worried about a recession. I said, well, you know what? We could be in a recession right now and we could be out of it in a couple months, but we're in Mexico enjoying margaritas. So it's not going to affect our life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, with every recession comes the recovery yes. and new opportunities for for investors. Exactly. Exactly. And one of my clients, she loves to shop. I said, why is it that you will buy anything at the department store on sale, but you're afraid to buy stocks when they're on sale? Right, <laughs> Explain that right. to me. <laughs> Thank you. I have used that analogy so many times. <laughs> I said, okay, stocks are down. Just pretend they are on sale. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's a, it is a totally different way of looking at things. Yes. So. Cool. Uh, Tammy, what is, uh, to, to, to end up here, what is one piece of financial advice you'd like to leave with our listeners today? Well, I, I would say if, if you're not an expert in finance, avail yourself of some general education. Um, look at what you have coming in. Make sure that it's more than what you have going out. Um, when it comes to credit cards, you know, those can be wonderful, but they can also ruin your life if you don't pay your bills. And so credit card is not free money, as most of us know. The credit card interest rates are quite high. And sometimes those things become hard to overcome when you've gotten yourself into a hole. So prevent, prevent that hole from forming. Yeah. Um, 
And if you do have revolving credit card debt, stay 25% under your available credit limit. You know, that helps optimize your credit score and pay your bills on time, set it up on auto pay. So there's never any question that you're going to make a late payment. Um, automating is the best. Uh, it prevents human error. I think that's the best advice that I can give for, for people who are maybe just starting out or are, are trying to manage their own finances. And then the last thing is if there's extra, save 10% save 10%, pay yourself. Um, you know, you've earned it. So pay yourself. Right. Yeah. You work for everybody else, somebody else all, all week long, might as well pay yourself at some point. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I appreciate that about the, uh, the automating, um, because it, it follows so well with the, the idea of fear that a lot of people don't automate because they think they're giving up control, but it's, we are usually our worst enemy when it comes to, to finances anyway. So yeah, sometimes give that control to somebody who's going to actually take care of it automatically. I mean, even if you're just making your minimum payment automatically, it's, you know, I would round up. <laughs> yeah. You have a little bit excess spending in a month, but doing that at least helps you create a baseline. Good. Love it. Uh, Tammy, where can our listeners find Tammy Trenta online? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn under Tammy Trenta. Excellent. And you have a, a, a site for your business? I do. It's uh, familyfinancial.biz. .biz, right? Correct. Awesome. Tammy, I sure appreciate you being on our show today and you being so willing and open with your story and, and uh, the lessons that uh, we can all take from those. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Todd. To our listeners, thank you for joining us as well today. I encourage you to check out our pod podcast archives at moneyfit.org slash podcast. Do subscribe to our uh, show today uh, or click on the like button, subscribe to the show, and you'll be uh, notified when we get some new ones out each Monday morning. So until the next Monday morning, please stay money fit and stay well.